Welcome to Critical Thinking Required, hosted by LBW. Our goal is simple. We want to challenge you to think differently about finance and business. Join us and start the journey today. Welcome back to Critical Thinking Required. You're with your hosts, myself, Tim Bickmore, Dan Weiss, and Nathaniel Leach. And today we are going to talk about some biases. Uh, the two biases we want to touch on today is one is anchoring and the other is a recency or availability bias. This has a very large role within our industry from a financial planning and an investment management uh, perspective. So we're going to hit on anchoring first. And before we get into it, I'm going to throw it to Nathaniel first. I'm going to just define it so our listeners know exactly what we're talking about. With anchoring, the definition could be said as a tendency to anchor on the first piece of information you receive when making decisions. Now I'm gonna throw this to Nathaniel and he's gonna go into a little bit more depth about anchoring and give some examples of how that affects from an investment management standpoint. Nathaniel? So with anchoring, uh, when it comes to, to investing, there's a, a couple of different examples that, that I thought of that I, I think would be valid to this discussion. So the one that I personally wrestle with to this day and I've been doing this for many years, is the anchoring to the initial buy price that I buy a security for. So, for example, when we first started out, I was buying it into a security at $53 a share. And to this day, in my mind, I have a hard time wrestling with the fact that that company's value has increased in the last four and a half, five years now since we bought in at those prices such that if I'm to do my job properly, I need to recognize that the buy price that we bought in four and a half years ago is no longer applicable to today. I have to increase that buy-in price to a higher dollar per share to recognize that increased value. So if I can do that and the value um, while having increased the price that I'm buying in at, is still much less than its value, then I have to, I have to buy it. it. Of course, with the portfolio management restrictions and, and considerations like concentration and so on and so forth, taking all that into account, once that's all passed, if, if I still deem the company as a good buy, then I have to get past that anchoring in my head of that initial buy price. And I suffer from that for every single position that we've ever bought for our clients. And it's an active battle within my brain to go counter to that, that natural inclination because it's so easy to do that. It's so easy to anchor on that what you know and what you are familiar with. That's why I, I think that the comment, that the phrase that uh, some people hear is the devil you know. That, that is, you know what you know is the devil you know. That's what you're most comfortable with, no matter if they are the devil to you. Another aspect of investing that I come across is some investors like to pay attention to a, a historical range, a historical valuation range. So they say that this security has traded between 10 and 15 times earnings for the last 10 years. If it goes below 10 times, then it's a buy. That's, that's not necessarily the case. You have to take into consideration that perhaps the company's business model might be changing. Perhaps the company is growing at a faster rate than it was for the past 10 years. 
Hence, those multiples, those historic multiples are no longer the case. So that's one other, I'm, I'm not too uh, worried about that. I don't really believe in that nonsense, in my opinion. I, I think it's more about understanding what the company does today, how it got there, and where it's going to be. If you can forecast that out for 10 years plus, and, and with a reasonable degree of, of comfort, then that's what you should be paying attention to. One example I, I love to talk about is, uh, for example, the, the, the company called Charter Communications. Uh, for years, cable companies were considered, their main growth was in TV that, or, or video, as it's called. You know, you sign up for a video subscription and you that's how they grew. But that story changed in the 2000s. So hence, you had to pay attention to what that change was. And then that changed the growth economics of the business. So when it comes to all of these factors, you have to consider that with a anchoring bias, it's very easy to anchor onto a concept. And when new information comes in, it's if that new information goes against what you initially believed, it's very easy for anybody to discount that different piece of information to then disconfirms what they originally thought. It's very easy to do that. And that's, that's essentially confirmation bias, which we're going to touch on in a future podcast. But I think bottom line, things change. So if we're looking at this from an angle of what do we often, how we often see this anchoring bias come into play, uh, one of which is we, we definitely see it come into play when determining the, uh, the, the price versus value of an entity that we're looking to buy, like Nathaniel just talked about. Um, things change. That price is going to change. That value is going to change, not necessarily in line. But we also see it um, uh, in other parts of, of financial life. You know, we, we have situations where somebody uh, started making financial decisions that I'm going to live this long because my parents live this long or vice versa. I, I should not plan for tomorrow because I'm not going to live that long. I don't know how many times we've seen that um, play out and, uh, and it caused some, some major havoc. Or, um, you know, last time the recession was caused by X, the, you know, and, and that will actually be talked about some more in the next bias. But, um, you know, you're stuck on, on, for example, perhaps real estate causing, uh, a, a big, uh, recession and prices falling. That may not necessarily happen in this case. We've discussed that in, in some previous podcasts as to why those prices may or may not fall. Um, you know, we commonly hear things like, well, uh, maybe I should be in fixed income, bonds, for example, because they are safe, right? Because that's the information that you have. You're tied to the concept of bonds being safe, not necessarily uh, being true or how much cash you should have on hand. And then this sticks with you for, for what really could be decades. And, uh, and that, that kind of is a problem because, again, Things, uh, things will change. So uh, yet, even though we know things will change, we still are going to let this concept get in the way um, of determining what things are worth, what our time is worth, whether something is good or bad or cheap or expensive or healthy or not. The problem with, with looking at that is when you look at one thing and anchor towards it, there are so many other pieces of that puzzle that revolve around it, which may or may not be more important. But as a whole, 
very well can out, outweigh your anchor, even if your anchor is accurate, even if it is being implemented well, executed well, still could lead you down to a, a decision path that is very dangerous because you're only seeing a portion of something. And what can kill you is not necessarily what you know, but what you don't know. Yeah, the book that I read that I think everyone should read because it's just a fascinating book and you know, you can read it and it can, this information can be used for bad, but it can also be used for good, right? For your benefit or on the negative from a manip manipulation standpoint. But he promotes it very much of how do you promote it? How do you position yourself in a good way? And it's called Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as If Your Life Depended on It by Chris Boss. And one of the subjects he does hit on is anchoring. So an example of negotiation, as Dan mentioned, if you're going into real estate and you're going to purchase a house from a seller. Well, what you can do is you could utilize the anchoring bias to get a better price. So if your price range, let's say, was, you know, 250000 to three hundred grand, you don't want to go in at 300000 as your first price because then the seller is going to anchor on that. That's now where your, your starting position is going to be. Instead, you really want to start lower. It's very simplistic, but you want to say, I want $250,000. Um, and that will anchor them on that, which then all of a sudden you, it puts the power in your hands to be able to negotiate around the prices that you're looking for. Now he goes into more depth about other strategies and tactics you can use to even more cushion that kind of a uh, anchoring um, situation, but he does utilize that bias and in that way. And he used it when negotiating um, with, with different individuals being an FBI um, negotiator. So it's a fascinating book. You should definitely listen to it. But some of the comments that Dan and Nathaniel mentioned you know, kind of tie us back into our next bias, which is recency bias or availability bias. And for our listeners, the definition of that bias is a tendency to overvalue the most recent information available to us because that information is especially fresh and salient. So Nathaniel, I'm going to throw it back to you because you always have some good information on these biases because you read about it quite a bit. So what are your thoughts on recency and availability bias? So the, the greatest example that I can think of in recent memory is how much the, the great financial crisis impacted many people's lives. And it truly did. It brought up, uh, I know that this is no comparison to what we're experiencing today due to COVID-19, but uh, at the time during the great financial crisis, GFC, uh, employment, unemployment was up to at 10%. I mean, that was, that was very extreme at that time. And a lot of people were affected over a period of time. People lost their jobs. It was very, it was very uh, impactful to a large number of people, not only with regards to their jobs, but also with regards to the returns from the stock market. So recency bias is a great example of where the GFC really impacted how people viewed investing. Such that to the point that they, in some cases, people would extrapolate what caused the GFC, which was the decline in, in mortgage uh, mortgages, to the future. At, at some points, people thought that the entire financial system was going to collapse. And if the Fed hadn't stepped in, the government hadn't stepped in, it might have very well been the case. But they, they did. They did step in and they did uh, supply the necessary liquidity. That is an excellent example of how that has impacted individuals then, such that it affected their decisions for tomorrow. And as it turned out, it wasn't the same situation. What we're experiencing today 
people are extrapolating, well, travel's going to be affected forever as a result of this. And it will. In certain ways, it will. But will it impact companies, all travel companies, to the extent that all travel companies are going to go bankrupt? No, that's not going to be the case. So you have to pick your, pick your battles. You have to pick your positioning. You have to be careful not to, to fall into that trap of extrapolating what is happening today into the future because it might, might not necessarily be the case. And, and now I'm going to kick it over to Dan. It's easier for our minds to recall the last experience we've had and thus use it as our baseline. And so when we were talking about anchoring biases and the, these biases, they're, they're cousins of one another. You can be plagued with many of them. And it's not so, not so easy to avoid these kind of, uh, these kind of concepts. We, we all are, are victims to thinking in these ways. We mentioned though, for example, um, when we were speaking about the last bias about how a recession um, might be anchored to a particular uh, catalyst and thus we think that it's going to happen here. Now that's the recency part. So we've had a lot of people say, well, I'll buy some real estate when they fall during this recession. Why are you so sure that real estate's going to fall? I mean, it might, but um, maybe not. If we have government intervention with stimulus, keeping people uh, money in their pocket, whether they're employed or not. If we continue to see uh, banking institutions and credit unions defer people's payments, then they can make their payments on their homes. They're not as likely to fall in those homes. Those prices may not fall. But because we saw it 12 years ago, we expect to see it here too. May not happen, right? There are a lot of situations where this can really also get you in trouble. I mean, here's a common one. Often when markets continue to go up, like they have up until the last few months ago, you know, we think the markets will always continue to go up. And of course, they never do always continue to go up. And you think that things are never going to get, get, you know, bad, but, but that's not true either. Just as when markets go down, we start thinking, oh, markets are always going to go down. They're never going to be better again. Also not true. But I always find it interesting that when markets are going up, for example, and they make that switch, that we start saying things like, oh, well, we should have seen the bubble, or I'm surprised the market is falling. Why are you surprised? The reality is that the, the markets have dropped um, over the last number of decades, roughly about every decade, a little less than that, actually. So it's a regular occurrence. That's just part of the investing world, but it's really difficult to keep away from the noise and not, not remember those kind of situations. And I think that if that's a problem, then maybe you shouldn't be in the market. You should be looking at other ways to actually save for the quality of your life and not take that kind of risk because that is a component of that marketplace. It always will be. I, I have one comment when it comes to the recency and availability bias, and I'm actually going to read an excerpt from Farm Street blog um, that I read earlier today. And, and it's just a great summation of recency and availability bias. So an example, this example comes from Freeman Dyson, and I quote, a striking example of availability bias is the fact that sharks save the lives of swimmers. Careful analysis of deaths in the ocean near San Diego shows that on average, the death of each swimmer killed by a shark saves the lives of 10 others. Every time a swimmer is killed, the number of deaths by drowning goes down for a few years and then returns to the normal level. 
The effect occurs because reports of death of shark attacks are remembered more vividly than reports of drowning. That is a great example of availability bias and recency bias. But that's really the only comment I had because I just thought that was a fantastic little quote there. Yeah, so uh, shark was a, was a good one. I think that this applies to all biases, but I think slowing down your decision process is really important because it allows you to look at all your options, consider factors um, that easily can get brushed over, like opportunity costs or unseen risks, um, tax consequences, penalties. I also think that sometimes setting a schedule as to what you read and where you read it, having different sources, even if you hate those other sources, just to make sure that you, uh, that you are not getting caught up in just a, a small segment of time and you're spreading out that information um, to really grab a good sample size. It's also important, I think, to try to break yourself. And we talk about that all the time. We try to do that with clients. Is we try to break their situation. We try to invert the, the particular situation we're looking at so that we maybe think about things differently and uncover different concepts. Regardless, a, a comment that we have said before in other podcasts, and I'm sure we're going to say it again, is that some of the most dangerous words in investing are, this time, it's different. It's never different. But it's also never exactly the same. So both ends of that spectrum are equally dangerous. Don't let your yesterday determine your tomorrow. I'll just roll with it then. Um, Howard Marks, who is a famous distressed debt investor, has spoken about uh, types of thinking, which he has uh, devolved into systems one and systems two thinking. System one is uh, these biases that we're speaking about, all the other biases that we haven't even touched on. These are the biases that naturally come to you. They're instinctive. They're, they're easy. They're easy for your brain to grasp and, and to immediately act upon. Systems two thinking is the, the next level. The next level of thinking where you are cognitively thinking of saying no to the systems one thinking, to, those, to that anchoring bias, to that recency bias. Taking a step back and actually putting thought into the situation to come up with a reasonable solution. I counsel anybody listening to this to take a step back, take a breath, and think through whatever situation you're going through. Actively think about, okay, my mind is automatically going toward, towards the anchoring bias. Why? Do I need to be thinking like that? What information do I know? Like using the real estate example that Tim mentioned. What information do I know that says that I think that my home is actually worth X? And even though this buyer, potential buyer is saying that it's worth Y, I know I have the data that stipulates that my, this house is worth X. And I'm going to stick to that. That systems two thinking. Tim? Nathaniel kind of sort of stole my final thoughts because it was great. Um, I do believe, Nathaniel, that Howard Marks did not come up with System 1, System 2. That is actually from Danny Kahneman, who... Yes, correct. I, 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 he, just spe he just speaks on it, yes. Yeah, I he agree. speaks to it. But that, if, that is a wonderful book, by the way, for our, our listeners. Another one, Thinking Fast and Slow by um, Daniel Kahneman. Fantastic. And he discusses his theory on System 1, System 2 thinking. The only thing I would add to Nathaniel's piece, and I'm going to add one of my own thoughts, is 
you know, a lot of people do talk about decision making and Nathan what Nathaniel's speaking about to put in terms maybe our listeners might know is if you meditate, meditate before you make a big decision. Sit back, absorb it, feel it, understand your situation. And I'm being very serious because what that allows you to do is to separate yourself from the decision you're making. It, it gives yourself time to think and be with it before making a rash decision. And that's where you can get into that system two type of, of a thought process or get yourself ready to be in that thought process because it does take a lot of brain power to get there. The other thing that, that I would probably add is, you know, if you, I would encourage people to look up some of these biases, to start understanding it, to start knowing how humans act because we act irrationally. And it's been proven through science that our brains will make weird decisions for a lot of different reasons. And if you start going down that rabbit hole, um, you'll start understanding that some of the decisions you've made before, you just weren't really all the way informed because you didn't realize how your brain was coming to those conclusions in the first place. It gets really dark really fast in that rabbit hole, but the light does come up at some point. Um, so again, you know, thinking fast and slow, anything written by Danny Kahneman, Amos Traversky, Richard Taylor is also another good one. He took a lot of Danny Kahneman and Amos Traversky's information and um, expounded upon it from an economic viewpoint. Um, I do think Robert Schiller's book of narrative economics has a, a lot tied to the recency and availability bias and how narrative really does affect us. We've been telling stories. Humans have been telling stories since the beginning. That's how we communicated in early, early ages. And that narrative will drive decision making. So once you start understanding how we make decisions, your decision-making process will get better. The last thing I'll say, Farnham Street blog, if you really want to get quick information and learn about it, fantastic place and resource to go and start learning about this stuff. And then anything you can pick your, you know, your hands on, by all means. And this isn't going to help you financially. This is going to help you negotiating salaries, jobs, you know, help working with people. Um, it just is a benefit. Please be sure to follow us on our next episode as we will be discussing loss aversion. It's going to be a fun one. Thank you for taking the time to start your journey of thinking differently and listening to LBW talk about stuff they love. Until next time. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual on any specific security, on any specific broker-dealer or custodian. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments, broker-dealer or custodian may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. As always, Please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinion of Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC. Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC unless a client service agreement is in place.